Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn and how we teach and how they overlap. back to Learning Made Easier. You're listening to the COVID-19 special episodes. This podcast is about effective learning and effective teaching. And now we all have to do this with a new wrinkle provided by COVID-19, the novel coronavirus, which is sweeping the world in a pandemic, the likes of which we have not seen since AIDS, polio, and the 1918 Spanish flu. As a result of COVID-19, many universities, colleges, and K-12 schools have either closed down or moved to distance learning which for most teachers means going online. In this special COVID-19 series, we will unpack some of the major issues teachers and students are facing, as well as ways to deal with these issues. Now, please note, we are not going to pull punches here. We are going to be direct and blunt about what can be done and what can't be done. We're not going to be able to tell you how to keep things just the way they used to be. That is not possible. So with that in mind, let's move forward. This is our 11th episode in this series, Mental Health During COVID-19. Now, mental health is an issue for college teachers and college students, even when we don't have an international pandemic going on. But obviously, the problems we already have get worse, and new ones show up when we add in COVID-19 to the various pressures of daily life. One of the big problems with the public health responses to the virus, like stay-at-home orders, has been that many of them encourage behaviors which lead to worsened mental health, like isolation and job loss, as well as reactions that are themselves mental health disorders like depression and anxiety. The number of people who report feeling depressed are at higher than normal rates, about 12% higher. This isn't a small thing. The number of people who report feeling anxiety and fear are above normal levels too. Of course, there's a lot of articles out there about how to maintain and protect your mental health during this crisis, So we thought we'd sum up what we've read and then add them in our experiences. We'll link to some of the pages we used as sources for this episode in our show notes. The NAMI, N-A-M-I link will allow you to find help both in crisis situations and for longer term support. Now, one of the first things that I wanted to dig out of these articles is what are things that help us when we're under stress and what are things that hurt us? And according to several sources, there are things that protect us against stress. These are called protective factors and things that increase stress, which are called risk factors. And trauma is one of the big, big risk factors. Normally, when we think about trauma, we think of one-time events, a car accident, being the victim of a crime, a violent attack, a natural disaster like an earthquake or a hurricane, a death in the family. Even things like a breakup can be a one-time trauma that cause us problems. But trauma can also be caused by events that start and just don't stop. Sources of relentless stress. This can include being the target of a bully or abuser, or having to fight a life-threatening illness for months or years, or even working in a toxic workplace. Now, right now with COVID, we're all going through some level of ongoing, continuing trauma that's causing us relentless stress. So it's really important to recognize when trauma has reached the point where our brains just can't handle it anymore, because when they reach that point, bad things can happen. So some psychological and emotional symptoms of trauma, and I've pulled this from like four or five of our sources, include 
feeling like you're in shock or having trouble believing what's going on, feeling confused or having difficulty paying attention to anything for more than a minute or two, anxiety or fear that seems out of proportion to your situation. Like if you're sitting at home and you're not the one who goes out on errands, but you're constantly worrying and washing your hands over and over and over again, that's kind of out of proportion to the situation. If you're feeling anger or mood swings or irritability that also seem out of proportion, like somebody drops something and you just blow your top at them, that's kind of out of proportion. Feeling guilt or shame or blaming yourself for things that may be out of your control. If you pull away from other people, that's a problem too. If you feel sadness or hopelessness that seem out of proportion to the situation, again, you know, something like you watched a TV show and one of the characters had a bad day and you're feeling awful for them and you can't seem to stop thinking about it, or just feeling like you're numb or you have no feelings or that you're not connected to others. These are all psychological and emotional symptoms of trauma. And I will say just anecdotally, during the last half of spring semester 2020, I heard a lot of students telling me about incidents like every single thing on that list I've just given you. Same. And physical symptoms include things like insomnia or nightmares, fatigue beyond natural tiredness, a hyped-up startle response, feeling edgy or agitated most of the time, unexplained aches and pains in your joints or muscles, or a racing heart. And while my students haven't talked as much about that, I know that many of them had that fatigue or insomnia. They couldn't sleep, or when they did sleep, they had nightmares. I mean, these are things that I've heard reported. I'm sure you have too, right, Denor? Yep. Yeah. So what we need to know is these are things that will cause stress to get worse, that will cause trauma to happen. So here are some things that help us protect against and recover from these problems. The first one is having close and connected relationships. And we're not talking, you know, necessarily big R romantic relationships, just connections with at least one or two other people you can trust. So, for example, I've got a close connected friendship with Denor. I've got a close connected friendship and partnership with my husband. I'm getting to the point where I'm connecting with my therapist in this way. So I know that I've got people I can go to if I'm under stress. A second thing that seems to help is movement and staying active. And this doesn't mean you have to be a professional athlete. It doesn't mean that you have to be a football player or a basketball player or a distance runner, but just getting some movement into your life every day if you can. That will help. One of the articles that I read said that this basically breaks up your mind's ability to ruminate because when you're moving, especially if it's rhythmic moving like dance or some kind of team sport, you're much less likely to get down in the doldrums and not be able to get out of it. A third thing is staying hydrated, and that means drinking at least 64 ounces of water a day, eight eight-ounce glasses. And then a fourth thing is getting enough sleep, at least eight hours in the 24. And that means even if you have to take an afternoon nap, right now, where are you going to go? Right? You're at home. You might as well get some sleep. And these are good practices even when we're not dealing with an international pandemic, when we're talking about being a student or being a teacher. Having these things reduces your stress. You also want to eat a healthy and balanced diet. You don't just want to binge on junk food. If you're having trouble sleeping or the heart racing, you really want to avoid caffeine and you want to avoid drugs and alcohol because these aren't going to help you in the long run. You want to have mindfulness practices like meditation, journaling, and gratitude practices 
including block breathing, where you're inhaling for a few seconds, you're holding your breath, you're exhaling, and it's done slowly and repetitively to try and slow your brain and slow your breathing down. You want to focus on small wins like, I did the dishes today, or I read five pages of the book for my book club today. And you want to get professional help from a therapist or counselor. Now, what to do to support your mental health so that ideally you don't have to get to the point of getting a therapist. And by the way, if you do have to get a therapist, there's no shame in needing a therapist. Therapists are kind of mechanics for our psyches. Okay. And although they can't go in and fix your brain themselves, they can tell you what to do. They can teach you how to be a mechanic for your own psyche. But if you're just having some stress and you need to calm down on the stress or make, make it reduce, the main issues that we found in the articles are you got to make sure you eat. You got to make sure you sleep. You got to make sure you move. You've got to make sure you get connected and you've got to make sure you take breaks. And there are a number of different ways to make sure that these things happen. First, it's usually easier to do this if you set up routines that you can follow. Things like bedtimes, meal times, exercise times. All of these are good to set at regular intervals throughout the day. And part of your routine should include bathing, getting dressed, time for work, time for fun, and time for socializing. It's also good to set up a routine for each of these things that you're doing. So for example, bedtime is not, I walk into my bedroom at nine o'clock and lie down on the bed and go to sleep. You're probably not gonna do well if you do that right after you've just been on the news websites and reading them at 8.45 or 8.55 and then you go to bed at nine o'clock. You might wanna start your bedtime a half hour or even an hour before you actually lie down in bed by doing some things to wind down. Like have a cup of herbal tea, non-caffeinated tea, not black tea, but like maybe mint tea or chamomile tea or taking a hot shower, especially over the summer when it gets hot, uh, they found that taking a hot shower, after you step out of a hot shower, if you ever noticed you get a little chilled, that's good because being chilled like that helps your body slow down and go to sleep. As another example, make mealtimes a ritual. Pay attention to what you're cooking. Really focus on what you're cooking. Don't just throw a freezer burrito in the microwave. Look at, I am cutting this thing up. I am cooking it. Look at how it, it looks. Smell it. Maybe do a pre-taste. Set your table actually sit at the table instead of sitting in front of your computer or sitting in front of the TV, actually make a ritual of sitting down to the table. The more you get these rituals in place, the steadier your brain will be because it can depend on these things happening. And you'll have a ritualized way of saying, all right, I am now going to sit down at the table. Maybe you say a prayer before you eat. Maybe you say grace. Maybe you don't. Maybe you just take a minute to appreciate what you're going to eat before you eat. But all of this is also focusing on slowing it down and making it more deliberate. Stop running on autopilot when you can. Following on from that, socializing doesn't have to be in person. Pick up the phone and call a friend or have a get together on Zoom or on Skype. Make sure you aren't isolated even if you're an introvert. Try to make some time every day or every couple of days to reach out and get in touch with someone. Get a watch party together on Zoom or watch a movie together or put a book club together. If you're part of a religious community, attend their online services and reach out to their community groups. Stay connected. Part of staying connected too is keeping informed about what's going on. But don't do what a lot of people have done. Don't flood yourself with information. Don't be clicking on the CDC website every five minutes. Don't be refreshing the Google news page with coronavirus at the head of it. Try to only use reliable news sources. Your Facebook news feed, I'm sorry, 
it's not a reliable news source. Your Twitter news feed may point you at them, but Twitter itself is not a reliable news source either. Local news channels, some good national news channels, as well as the at WHO for the World Health Organization and the at CDC GOV feeds on Twitter for the CDC. These are going to provide the most trustworthy information, both about how the virus works and how your particular area is being affected by it. At the same time, try to keep screen time, including news surfing, video games, and other internet activity, to a relative minimum. If you set up a routine to follow, allow yourself maybe an hour of time looking at the internet and an hour of video games on any given day, but try to reduce how much time you're spending on your computer or your phone. Pick up a book, go for a walk with your mask on, please. Try yoga or low-impact aerobics at home. Try not to spend the majority of your waking hours just sitting in front of a computer or looking at your phone. And in the same way, find ways to get out of your head. Don't sit there in your head all day. One way mentioned in the articles that we read for this episode was finding ways to help other people. Maybe you have an elderly neighbor or a disabled friend who could use help with food shopping or medical appointments. Or maybe you can do something my husband and I did just this past week. Go through your closets and donate stuff you don't use anymore. Or put together a donation for a food pantry. Research has shown that helping others often helps us see beyond ourselves and get some perspective on the situation. Now, if you're still struggling, sometimes we can't fix our problems on our own, and that's okay. That's why we have mental health counselors and therapists. Adam called them earlier mechanics for our psyche. That's how we should view them. If you start having these problems, please seek help from a professional. One problem is you cannot do what you normally need to do at home, things like bathing, dressing, eating, or cleaning up. And another one is you can't do what you normally need to do at work if you're missing deadlines or if you find that you've been sitting there and staring at your work for 30 minutes without doing anything or you're having difficulty interacting with other people or you're grouchy or you're unable to cope with other people. These are all problems at work. You're not able to form close or supportive friendships or connections with other people. Yeah, that's a problem. And again, friendships, connections, it doesn't necessarily mean romantic relationships, but if you don't have a couple friends to call up, that's a problem. If you're experiencing frightening memories that freeze you in your tracks or that you can't stop thinking about, or if you're having nightmares, or if you're having emotional flashbacks, and I want to talk about this for a minute. A lot of people think of a flashback as a visual, like they are seeing what happened over again. That's actually kind of rare. Flashbacks are usually happening with your emotions. And an emotional flashback is when your body is reacting as if you're experiencing the trauma again. It may or may not have a visual or an audible element. The important thing is that your body feels like you are back in that traumatic experience. And because of that, you avoid anything that reminds you of the trauma. This can include refusing to wear a mask, refusing to wash your hands, or taking other safety procedures. One of the last things is you feel disconnected or emotionally numb. Like you walk around unable to care about anything, unable to feel anything. Just feeling like, yeah, okay, I just saw a car crash, big deal. It's not, nothing is affecting you. Nothing is getting through to you or connecting with you. And you can't seem to get out of that disconnection. That's actually a big symptom of depression. And it's one that a lot of people don't realize is a symptom of depression. You're consuming a lot more alcohol or drugs or sweets or caffeine than before. I remember when quarantine first started seeing the recycling bins full 
and much fuller than usual of empty bottles and cans. And while I understand the novelty of, hey, I can drink at home on a Wednesday and I normally couldn't before, when that behavior continues, that's really problematic. And it's not just alcohol and drugs. I mean, Denor also mentioned sweets, right? When the pandemic started, we had a lot of friends who were posting like pictures of cookies they were baking and brownies they were baking and how, oh, look at this chocolate that I just ordered. And okay, that's great. But if you're eating an entire bonbon box of chocolate every single day, and you're a diabetic, that's really not good for you. Even if you're not a diabetic, that's really not good for you. Okay, it's not good for your teeth. It's not good for your health. If you are gorging on Twinkies, this is not a good thing, all right? And if you are eating a lot of bread, bread is also a sweet because it breaks down into sugar and it does the same thing with your body as a brownie does. It just doesn't do it as fast. So if you find yourself, say, gorging on carby things, pasta, bread, chips, tortillas, things like that, maybe check it and say, you know, this is a lot of stuff that's shooting my sugar through the roof. And that's not healthy. If you already know you have a mental health condition, do the things that will help it. Stay with the medication, food, and activity regimen that your doctor set up for you. If you notice your symptoms are getting worse, please call your doctor. Now, I have several mental health conditions, so I have to keep on top of it to make sure I don't get bogged down. Depression, is really, really tough. So I see a therapist every week and I ask my husband and my friends to bring it to my attention if I seem to be having more problems or any of the symptoms that we've listed. I also take the time to do mindfulness meditation every day. I have a gratitude practice. I list three or four things I'm thankful for every single day. And I eat food that supports my health and I do my best to get enough sleep. And that can be really difficult if my anxiety ramps up, but I do the best I can. I take naps when I'm tired, even though I don't want to. I also have standing date nights with my husband every week. I have two regular online video hangouts with friends. One of them is recording this podcast with Denor. And I'm part of a table reading group who reads plays together for fun. And our next one is Shakespeare's The Merry Wives of Windsor. So I'm doing things to make sure I stay connected. I'm doing things to make sure that I've taken care of food, sleep, hydration, things like that. And I have to because I have mental health conditions that are being managed mainly by not doing things that will make them worse. I'm a huge hockey fan and I'm a diehard San Jose Sharks fan. And one of our broadcasters, Jamie Baker, has been very open about dealing with his depression and a practice that he calls practicing radical gratitude, where kind of like Adam, he'll post things that he's really grateful for. And in light of that, I'd like to practice some radical honesty with all of you listeners. I've recently, like this week, hit some really bad writer's block working on a book. And that writer's block is fueling self-doubts and anxiety. It's imposter syndrome, and it's intense. There is a little bit of that if I'm stuck now, does this mean I'm never going to finish this? And on the one hand, I know that's probably not the case. This isn't the first time I've hit writer's block or been stuck, but it still feels that way. And so what I've done is I've reached out to a few friends who are also creative. Some of them write words, some of them write and play music. And I reached out to them because we know each other well, we trust each other, we want the best for one another. And these friends know what it's like when you hit these walls. So talking to them, verbalizing my concerns really helps, as does just sometimes trying to write a few words at a time. 
And a piece of advice that a few friends gave me was take a few days off from writing in order to read and recharge, kind of refocus the brain that way. And so I'm doing that. And in order to relax, I'm working with a few friends. I'd like to give them shout outs. Uh, Ace, Edgar, and Ian. We work together on a fantasy football podcast. And that helps keep us talking to one another regularly. And we get to speak the language of sports, which we all really enjoy. I also listen to a lot of music. I listen to old sports games. And I've started listening to ASMR videos on YouTube because each of these sorts of videos gives me a different sort of relaxation and gets me in a better headspace than I was before. So that's what we have for you for this special episode of Learning Made Easier. Please send this to other professionals and students who may be facing these issues. The easiest link to share is probably our Patreon, patreon.com slash learningmadeeasier. If you're able to support us right now, We'd really appreciate it. And please join us next time for our next COVID-19 episode, where we'll talk about how to help students access class materials when we can't really come to campus safely. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learning made easier. We look forward to seeing you next week.